In the claims process, acts of bad faith are considered especially heinous. In this podcast, the dedicated public adjusters who investigate these vicious acts and the attorneys who settle them are part of an elite squad known as the Special Claims Unit. These are their stories. Welcome to another episode of Law and Policy presented by The Pain of the Claim. And yes, I have him back. He is sitting right across the table from me in the beautiful Maker's Gym right here in Frisco, Texas. I can't believe we're in person. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Law and Policy, Mr. Scott Hunziker. I know, y'all settle down. Y'all are being crazy. Just, Just keep it cool. I know, I know, I know. That's enough of that. <clears throat> How am I going to live up to that? I, I have no idea. They're rowdy, though. They're rowdy. It's because they're rambunctious. Yeah, it's because here at Maker's Gym, you can get you a cocktail while we're doing podcasts, which is always fun. I've heard the rumor. It is just a rumor, though. It is. It is just a rumor. Scott, how have you been, man? You know, before anything, I think we got to admit that it's been too long. It well, it's been a while. Been a yeah, I, I believe I believe a certain level of confession is necessary before we get into the purity of what we're here. Go to ahead, do. go ahead. So it has been way, way too long. Lots of things have been going on. Well, Lots yeah. of new things since we last had an opportunity to talk. Why mm-hmm. don't you let our listeners know the great news? What's going well, on in your world? October first of last year, my partner Ben Barmore and I, uh, we had been with another firm and we had manned the the first party division representing policyholders only just as we have for years. Right. And uh, we broke off and started our own. So we're downtown Houston. We're, uh, we've got the office. We've got everything moving. We've got uh, some incredible clients and inspiring stories and very worthy causes. And we're very blessed to, to you know, have the opportunities we have to help a lot of people. Well, it's really good to know that you're there. Yeah. You know, we'll keep setting them up. You keep knocking them over. Sure. And, um, man, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. We've act, we're still working cases together. We still mm-hmm. got things moving. Right. And, uh, I, I can tell you, um, the distance, the distance that we've traveled together with just different cases and things like that, the results that you get is absolutely outstanding, which is why you're sure. sitting across the table from me now is because I believe that you bring a level of value. And, and I mean, while we'll talk primarily about Texas, you kind of serve a lot of the country too, right? I mean, there's other, there's other states that yeah. you're involved in. I'm from original. I grew up on a dairy farm in Northeast Missouri, mm. raised by grandparents up there, my dad, and my grandparents and um, I'm a Missouri kid. I went to law school up there, came down here to work with family about a year out. So being up there, you you have a license in Missouri, and then you got to take the Kansas bar. I came down here to the Texas bar, and then I'm over in Georgia. And uh, Ben Barmore, my partner, and I, between the two of us, with the relationships we have and the licenses we have independently, um, we, yeah, we work we work in a lot of states. We've helped a lot of people. We're, we're mostly commercial. We've done some residential stuff. Uh, many cases in that regard, but um, yeah, we we have a expanding footprint. But Texas is our home. It's our, sure. our home office uh, is in Houston. I, I think there will be a point where we also have one, likely in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But you know that is that is the mothership, the nerve center. So I'm shopping real estate spots for you right now, so that I can get you up here in Dallas because I would love to have you, you here. Mentioned that before. I know, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to. Find one that's got a great office for me in it. That's, that's right. That's really what I'm looking for. You know well, what so I'm most saying? That's our, that's our primary consideration. <laughs> right. Well, I knew that that was what you were worried about mostly. Um, so I, 
as it pertains to like working in Texas, I mean, just from mm-hmm. a public adjuster, I can tell you that by and large, the consumer laws tend to be a little bit more friendly in a world from a na- national perspective, whether it's Illinois or Georgia or Florida, sure. and the changing lands, the changing legal landscape as it pertains to first party claims has been right. a challenge. And I'm really thankful to be able to work in Texas because it appears that the state legislature still wants us to be represented. You know, I so. do. I do. And, and, you know, it's, there's a world of difference between the different states and how they handle things, both, you know, procedurally, what the laws are substantively, and then also uh, the remedies that are available. There's a world of difference. And um, having worked in many different ones, I will agree with you that Texas is more, what I would say is more inviting and potentially favorable to a policyholder and the people that work with them. So there's no doubt about it. I would it would it would you know resemble those same remarks that you you made about Texas. It's a, an incredible state for this area of practice. Well, and and I mean, and 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 in the different and the different interactions that we've had having your services, sort of, I walk into a lot of commercial things mm-hmm. with your number kind of on my phone, yeah. waiting to press the send button, the, the the send button, because I know that more than likely at some point in time, if you're not involved in a full litigating effort. Knowing how to navigate those things as a partner in Remedies Firm, not not official equity partner, I just regard you heavily as an expert and and being able to contact you when I have legal questions, and I do that quite a bit. Well, yeah, and I think that's the way. I think those are the best relationships. Like you said, it's not a part. We don't have any type of uh, of that type of ownership with each other. But at the same time, you have a comfort level knowing that if you want to reach out over, you know, any of the tedium that's within the area of practice, you can do that. And you're always going to have a, a, a receptive ear with me and sure. somebody willing to, you know, give you my my very best advice. Well, one of the things that I have encouraged public adjusters as I coach public adjusters across the nation, one of the things that I tell them, one of the very first pieces of advice is start developing relationships now. Right. And one of those relationships that you <clears throat> need to develop is one with a first-party attorney that sure. can help guide you. I, guys, I cannot tell you the number of times that I have picked up the phone and called Scott and said, hey, help me unpack this legally, what is going on here, and what are my options, even prior to it becoming like a full-blown litigation case, knowing how to navigate some of that landscape has been absolutely invaluable. And the fact that you're able to do that with me is incredible. Well, in, in the entire profession, in my opinion, is is about relationships. And there are many players and many different facets of the, of the area of practice. But, you know, you've got to make sure that you have, you know, professionalism, that you have um, you know, integrity with everybody within, you know, all worlds of the practice, whether it's the other side, the PAs, of course, the clients themselves, folks in construction, whomever, opposing counsel. Um, that's what I think makes up your, you know, the reputation and the ability and frankly, the ability to get things done. Because sure. a lot of times when there's so much tug of war, it, it never really goes anywhere. So we, you know, Ben and I, Ben Barmore and I, that's one thing about our practice is, you know, it's 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 firm but fair. You know, it's a respectful practice, but at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that we're always the the end game is always the very best interest of the policyholder, whether residential or commercial, that you represent. Well, I think one of the 
I think a lot of people look at the legal process, and we're going to get into some of the legal process and sort of what happens Mm kind of once we turn it over. And I want to dispel a myth real quickly here. A lot of PAs and even homeowners think that the legal process is like a goal line stand by the carrier, that we've gotten it down to the one-yard line, and it just requires a, a, a... an attorney to kind of punch it across the goal line and get Mm -hmm. the thing paid. And it appears to be a very quick thing. And it's like, they, they, they look at the legal process as this ultimate, I've called in my big brother. We're going to meet you at the bike racks and I'm going to put you and I'm going to put you down in the ground. And it's just not that at all, is it? So um, it is really a completely different ball game. It's a completely different tournament altogether. And I love sports analogies. And so what are, can you kind of give us an idea, just maybe even a Reader's Digest version, and we'll dig into it a little bit. What happens once a PA turns over a file to you? Yeah, and and we can talk about it from 30,000 feet and then drill down. Okay, okay? great. Yeah. Um, You know, when when we get a case, all right, usually the way it works is somebody out there has gotten frustrated with the process. Maybe they haven't been paid enough or they haven't been paid at all. Maybe they don't even understand why they're not being paid. You know, they're not getting an answer from the carrier or, or whatever the situation may be. Sure. Right? And they go and, and, and they reach out and how is it that I can, you know, have somebody to, to give me a voice in this? And they go to, to a PA many times, mm-hmm. all right? So when the PA gets to the point that, and maybe they've been successful, maybe they've been able to get a partial payment or more than one, or maybe they met the same fate and couldn't get anything. But when it goes to a lawyer, the biggest thing that needs to be done right off the bat is a full, you know, evaluation, a a very circumspect uh, evaluation of everything that's taken place. And they want to know why we are here. Where are you at in the process? How did you get there? And what are the big roadblocks? Are they speed bumps? Are they brick walls? You know, is this going to be a coverage defense? Or is it just a matter of, hey, they paid X because they thought that covered everything. You think it's Y. And now we have something there that may be fodder for appraisal. Or maybe, frankly, it can get an early resolution. But when you were talking earlier about feeling like, okay, we're at the one-yard line and now we're just going to – you know, we're going to punch it in. Right. right. We're going to give it to Zeke. Yeah. We're going to punch yeah, it in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can use that reference. Can you, I still use you, Zeke? You, he's still a running back, just not in Dallas. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I was always a fan. I love, I, Zeke. I love Zeke too. I think Zeke was great. I, I'm going to miss him, but I met him at Concrete Cowboy over at the Star here in Frisco. Oh, really? And uh, boy, bigger guy than, than you think. It's amazing. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not just a goal line stance. It's, 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 at any point within the process, it can be literally, using your analogy, it could be after kickoff. They just never even get a play ran, and it has to go legal because they're demanding an EUO, or they just send another letter saying, we're, we're maintaining our previous position. This is going to be it. There's nothing else you can do. It's a coverage opinion. You know, something that's going to require legal. Sure. And, and I and I always I fall back when I talk about this with coverage because, you know, that's something that doesn't lend itself to appraisal. Because it's not just a dispute over amount of damage. The, right. If it's, if it's that, then sometimes you have a, a separate path you could take. And that anticipates, originally anticipated, no legal involvement. Now, it can have lawyers involved, but there's a path you can take if it's a disputed amount of damage. But the, the ones we see, it's a lot of coverage or um, it's a situation where they just have, have already paid everything they're going to pay. And they say everything else 
is pre-existing or failure to maintain or you know something like that. Now that is is related to the uh, the weather based the weather events. Sure, you know, as a precipitating you know cause sure. of damage. Sure, right. Um, it's a totally different world. When you get into the fires and the thefts and the things like that, right? Well, I mean, like the failure to maintain is oh, yeah. because there's always there's always there's always an event, sure, that exists beyond our control. That the event is going to happen whether we do anything or not. So mm-hmm. we're subject to the event. Take yeah. the freeze of 2021. Sure, okay, <clears throat> you know. Sure. But uh, by and large, most policies are going to state that we're going to cover this under this condition of your reasonable care to maintain heat in the building, so to speak. Sure. You're going to have to maintain a level of reasonable heat, 55 degrees, 65 degrees, whatever the policy. 65 degrees. Whatever the policy may say in this in this given situation. And if you did not maintain that, then there is no coverage for you. What is it you get? Drain the pipes, maintain 65 degrees. There's usually a list of typically three of those in that scenario. And I've got those in Texas, Missouri, Kansas. I've, we've seen Ben and I've seen those in, in different spots. Well, and it's and I will tell you, it is um, it's a it's a variation on a common theme. Usually, when you get a case in, the theme is just that hey, they did not um, meet the mark. They didn't meet the task of what they had to do as as a uh, provision under the policy for for an insured, but. You know, well, we, let's 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 take this for example. The freeze sure. of 2021. Yeah, and I mean, I'm smiling ear to ear right now because I know what I'm about to get into. Um, in Texas, you go to bed and it's 65 degrees outside. You wake up the next morning and it's 14 degrees and it's covered in ice. And so your failure to maintain, <clears throat> there yeah. was no opportunity. To do so, you know, because if you're talking about a commercial building, like I worked in one that was a essentially a daycare is what it was, but right. it was it was a preschool. Um, the people went home, everything was fine. Maybe you felt a chill in the air, but by and large, expecting the entire state to shut down due to an Arctic blast, and we're talking a landmass the size of cold, Texas, cold, quite a cold snap. It was quite a cold snap that sure. we have never. It was unprecedented at a level, you know, and so you had a lot of. Carriers denying you did not maintain because when we left, the air conditioner was needed. When we came back, we had to maintain this level of heat and it didn't kick on or whatever the case. No, we didn't drain the pipes because there wasn't. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it's their responsibility to watch the weather report, and know that it's coming. What responsibility do they have there? Well, when you have your duties of a policyholder and the duties of cooperation, I mean, Usually, when we're talking about this specific example, this scenario, um, many times it relates to the folks and the ones I've had, the ones that Ben and I've had, it relates to, for instance, people that have rental properties. And right. let's say you have a group that moved out, and let's say it's a it's a northern more you know uh, uh, property, and you know you're going to have the seasons. The cold snap's a great example because it was on us quick and unexpectedly, right? Right. But usually the idea is that. If you're going to have those those cold conditions, those frigid conditions, then you've got to, you know, either drain the pipe, you've got to insulate the pipe, you've got to maintain the heat so you don't need to do those. It's an it's an or. It's a it's an injunctive situation, not a conjunctive situation. Sure. And uh, those are usually where the fight lies. Somebody's going to die on one of those hills between mm-hmm. the insured and the policyholder, or the insurer and the policyholder. So. 
that's what we see most of the time. Down here, yeah, you have – there's almost an impossibility defense that how would I have been able to do that? Now, the problem for the carriers is, you know, if you get past – you know, the arguments that are made are many times made in, in a summary judgment context where they're trying to get the court to throw the case out before it gets to a jury. Sure. But usually those cases are going to get resolved because if you can get to a jury, it's going to be hard for a carrier to get a whole lot of sympathy <laughs> When they said, hey, this guy wasn't, you know, up and at him at 3.15 in the morning and anticipating that snap. Sliding his ass all the way to the <laughs> to the, to the location. Breaking where... out the break – it... well, he had his toboggan ready. And, <laughs> right, you know, yeah, yeah. His, his, his dog team and they and they soldiered through and, and to make sure that all of that is done. And and more moreover, what part of the educate – now, I realize the mm-hmm. policy existed – yeah, they put a you know 150 page document in front of them. Sure, with the declarations page, nobody <clears> reads it. <throat> They're barely explained the gist of it, and that little detail of maintaining heat in a building is probably going to get left off, you know. And then what we saw a lot of, at least in this area, yeah. was fire suppression system failure. You did have that. You did have. That. It was a ton of because you can't. I mean, what do you want me to do? Drain the system. And and I know and and you know have you have wet systems and dry systems and right yeah there's, yeah there's quite a all of those a different things distinction yeah one thing I want to say just because you brought it up it's anytime you say you know no one's going to read the policy people need to read the policy they do there was and I I can't remember who it was recently they were talking about because it was in the talk of all the the sports uh, contracts and they were talking about how. You know, if you had a multi-million dollar contract that could result in either nothing or millions, you know, coming to you based on performance of that contract, wouldn't you read it? You know, sort of almost alluding to in the quarterback, you know, contract sense of the, you know, interpretation. But it was like, that's your insurance policy. Why wouldn't you read that? You know, you've got to read it. You've got to ask questions to your agent. You've got to. You do. You do. And the thing is. You know, I I think it's critical. It's like the old art of war with Sun Tzu. You know, when the, the battle is won before it's fought. You mm-hmm. know, you make sure you have inventories. You make sure we know now anything can happen. That cold snap was a bit of a wake-up call, you know, that, hey, you can't just, you know, assume that you're never going to have that type of situation. Now, don't get me wrong. Will we ever see it again? I don't know. I mean, we've had a, we had a cold, cold spring. We did. We did. But but more than anything, you know, you got to be prepared for it. With with the cold snap in particular, though, awfully hard to expect a reasonable person to know that within a however many hour period, you know, you were going to have that great a fluctuation in the ambient temperatures. It's just it's it's or that the entire power grid was going to shut oh, down. Oh come on, yeah, come, come on. on. I mean, right, and that's come kind on. of what I mean. It was an unprecedented event, and mm-hmm. and I don't want to sit there and rehash all of the things no. of 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 Winter Storm Yuri necessarily. But what I would like to point out is that there is some level of information that you do have to get from the policy. You, if you don't understand, you do have to ask those questions. But even as PAs, there's right. a, there's a lot of us that the nuance within each given policy. Policy is not something that we're always going to be able to unpack in that moment and see how it applies because it's the interpretation of the said policy and how they read that and how they interpret it, right? right? Okay. Yeah. Reading is fundamental. Interpretation requires skill, right? You sound so, like you sound like an after-school special. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. 
It is. It it's, is. It, it's fundamental. And and so, but the importance of asking those questions and understanding how the policy works, functions, and operates is really, really important. But most of us buy that because at some level, we're contractually obligated to own it. Not because we really want it, but because we're contractually or legally obligated to own that, own said policy. You are. And so, because we're just trying to fulfill our financial responsibility we own and have it in place so that it protects but we don't really understand the why behind that right do you know what i mean i do and so we don't and we're just trying to fulfill our obligations you know obedient you know my understanding is not a prerequisite for my obedience right so i i want to be clear when i say it is super important that you understand the document that is supposed to be securing your financial health. And I cannot reiterate that enough. Well, understand yeah. it. And, and this doesn't, this isn't limited to whether you're a, a business owner with a commercial policy or a business owner's policy, or if you're, you know, you're having something just for your home, you know, um, the key is making sure you know what it covers um, what are the what are the time elements involved? You know, how long do you have to make a claim, or what policy period does it cover? Uh, are there changes along the way? Are you getting notices of changes? Are you having to sign something? Are you being told about them? Um, and and here's another one: um, the amount of damage, or, or I'm sorry, the amount of coverage you have, you know, and what are the, the what I always have called coverage buckets? You know, sure. do you have the ALE, do you have do you have everything you need? You know what's so funny? Because people a lot of times use words interchangeably. If you have a grocery store, for instance, the actual business property inside the grocery store, you may have the shelving and things like that, but then you also have the inventory, the product that's at the produce that's totally different because it's something, you know, it's 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 the wares that are bought and sold. Mm-hmm. So you just gotta make sure that you always have the um the right coverage and the right coverage amounts that makes sense for what your your operation involves. Well, and 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 I mean, and this goes into so, so many people just look at the structure and they don't look at the life cycle of what's going on within the structure, right. whether it's residential or business. And the one that pops into my mind in business is is uh, like business interruption, sure, and what that looks like and what you're insuring, because most of the time the carrier in a business interruption case is going to look at history. But the history is not where the loss lies. Where does the loss lie? The loss lies in the future. It does. And you also got to look at how long does that coverage last? Is it 12 months? Right. Is it 6, 18? I mean, you have to know, and you've got to know your business well enough to know if these things took place. Remember, this: the idea of insurance, they used to always talk about, you know, it's insurance, it's not a warranty. You know, it's fortuitous events. What what would not be expected? If it's If it's a warranty issue, if it's... An intentional act. I mean, some things are not intended within that world of insurance. But what is it that you could face in restarting your business, reopening your doors, you know, rebuilding your home? You know, what does it honestly require? And then you got to make sure you have the amounts of coverage and the the duration of coverage to to meet those needs if that type of tragedy or loss occurs. Well, and also when when you when you look at things like that mm-hmm. a, as it pertains to the income of business or the operation or the operational um, efforts that any business would have that that could change in a moment. And let's just say for example, I know this would never happen. Let's say we're hit with a global pandemic that shuts down the entire country. 
I know I shudder, that I shudder to wonder. I, I, I know that'll never happen. But take a business wonder. like DoorDash, for example. Sure. Okay, they suffer a loss at their offices, and because of a global pandemic, their business has done what? It's absolutely hockey-sticked. Because now, if you're going to get food from someplace other than your kitchen, you're going to have to find somebody to bring it to you. Okay, yeah, And right. so their business would have hockey-sticked at that moment, and mm-hmm. if they suffer a loss in the middle of that hockey stick, you're ensuring something that is going to happen, and we're looking at and we have no idea where that hockey stick ends. Right. You know what I mean? And that becomes a very difficult thing. And obviously, carriers are going to want to look at history and not what the landscape is going to be lying ahead of that thing. And I'm not trying to just drill down on this one coverage, but the buckets that you talked about is what I want to get back to. Sure. And when we get into whether it's coverage for the structure, whether it's business interruption, whether it's contents and all of the different things that because you may have insured your 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 property to have 11 computers in it and you could run your entire operation with 11 computers and then a global pandemic hits and all of a sudden in order to everybody's by zoom yeah. you've got to buy it for everybody <laughs> you got to buy it for everybody absolutely do you see what i'm saying I, and I do. so all of these things change and pivot and understand in the changing landscape of what's going on we have to be aware of what those coverages are and how they work and that's just one of the responsibilities of being a homeowner or business sure You've many times, you know, you have to, you know, you have to be able to to hear the music and then know when it's going to stop and make sure you got a chair when that music stops. <laughs> that is so true. You have to. Um, otherwise, you know, it's 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 devastating from a business standpoint, and to not read those tea leaves, you know, moving forward. Right. To look at what you got, you know, maintain the relationship with the agent. Make sure you know that, you know, good astute agents are also, I think, excellent at being able to sort of forecast where things may be going. You know, especially ones that work, you know, predominantly in or brokers, wholesale brokers. Sure. The, the ones that work in the areas of, 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 you know, the commercial ventures out there that are not necessarily startups, but the ones where you can tell um, the landscape is, is changing more erratically maybe than, than other, you know, uh, longstanding ventures. And to have somebody that can say, you know what, you have to consider this, this, and this, and let you have those those protections in place for like your DoorDash example, it's critical. You have to be looking ahead. There is no looking backward or standing still in the business. So how much time when somebody hands off a claim to you, sure. do you spend kind of making, figuring that that sort of thing out. You know, you study the policy, what I mean, sure. but it but then it goes into all the circumstantial all the circumstantial facts that lay around and what I mean is mm-hmm. the facts pertaining to the circumstance of which led us to this point. That's what I mean by that. So, you know, how much time is really involved in making sure that you have stuff in front of you? Well, it, it's very concentrated at the beginning. Whenever we're retained, we want to the first thing it's three words define the universe. You have to define the universe. What is every shred of paper related to the case? Um, every single, and I don't mean just like, hey, let me let me have the correspondence photos and estimate, and maybe the policy too. I, no, no. You, you, want, you want everything, anything that's been emailed, anything that's been text, because what's going to happen is you're going to have your cast of characters, everybody that was involved, and then you need to go ahead and, and you, it has to be very circumspect. Go back and you want to check. Don't rely on – you need to learn the written material, but don't just look at that in a vacuum. 
Go back to your client. Hey, listen, on these three people, I see they were involved in this. Is there somebody not being mentioned here? Define, define everybody. Because when you get into court, many times you may have some of your strongest witnesses not even be paramount within those first documents you look at. It could be somebody that came out there later from the insurance carrier and totally agreed, just, ex- just expressly agreed, made an admission on behalf of the carrier that you were right as a policyholder. But you may not know that if you just go by the typical rank and file, you know, perfunctory examination of the, right. of the information. So right. it's, it's, it's a very, very concentrated and, and we, we operate, Ben and I, one of the things we've done, we've always done, we work together well in this regard. We have a sense of urgency because we understand that, you know, when people have leaks in the house, the business, when they're shut down their operations, those things don't stop. And they're going to, clients are going to have a hard time understanding why is it, you know, that, that you're not acting with the same such of urgency that they're feeling when they have to go through this experience and they're losing money and they're still paying out payroll and they're going through all those things day by day, week by week, month by month. So we get into it as fast as we possibly can. We want to know what experts have been involved. What more experts do we need? Is it, you know, today I had a, a hearing in, in Kansas in federal court this morning. It was a, it was a telephonic hearing, but when we get ready for these hearings, we know everything down to the square foot. We know every – is this a, an issue with EPDM? Is this an issue with, with TPO? Is this an issue with, okay, they took care of those, but there's a, there's a uh, you know, gravel ballast you know, um, section of the roof over here they won't pay because of X, Y, or Z. We, we get all that understood down to the square foot because sometimes you identify some things that aren't even in dispute. They've already taken care of this. It's just related to over here, this different part. You have to do that. We can do that very quickly because we want to find out everything at the beginning we don't know. When we look at that universe of a claim, the universe of the file, okay, we're going to know that there are going to be some blanks in there, some open-ended questions, and we got to go right back to the client. we got to go back to a PA, a construction worker. we got to go right to the contractor, and we want to find out, okay, there's obviously something missing here. These things let up A, B, C, D, and E. You know, where's, where's F and G and H? And, and, and you have to do that immediately. And then, you know, remember also the other thing is, there are time elements built in here. You have to, in Texas, if it's a weather-related issue under the 542 Alpha Laws from 2017, you've got to give them 60 days. So a client isn't going to be very impressed if you're taking 60 days to get out a letter that gives them 60 days. I mean, you need right. to get on it immediately. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you you can't you know, send out a letter and then 30 days later, oh, you know what, here's a different one that's got a little more detail. You have to get it right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So it is very, um, it's a, it's a very, um, time sensitive situation. You've got to be circumspect. You have to operate with a sense of urgency, an incredible eye for detail with these things. Understand that universe, understand your case from the beginning. There's when you go through litigation, the idea that you're going to, the idea of on the job training is insane. You have an understanding you may need to pivot when you find out things that you couldn't have known, but you need to have a strategy from the beginning. And then everything that you're doing moving down the line advances on that theme. 
Does that make sense? Right. It's like picking a strategy. It is. Now, you may have to pivot. You you may find out later. I've had situations before where, you know, okay, I found out later something that was happened in the application process I never knew about because it wasn't it wasn't part of I didn't have anything in underwriting to see at the beginning. I had the claims related materials. You right. see what I'm saying? Right, right. But so you have to be able to ebb and flow with different information coming in just like you do in court. You know, never without an answer. But at the same time, when you first start building that case, you have to have a theme. Is this for instance, is this a theme where they should have paid money and they never did and they just frankly stuck to this, you know, totally inane, um, you know, reason for denial? Or is it a case where, where they've actually made three or four payments and now it's not because they're good guys. It's because every time they make a payment, they're admitting that the last one was in error because it was incomplete. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. So you have to understand what kind of house you're building in regard to a case from the beginning, and then you you stay consistent with that. And again, there may be times where you have to, you know, bend when the wind blows because there's a piece of inf- information that you never had or a witness you never knew about or you couldn't have known. But you do your best to make sure it's it's weathered in and watertight in, in construction terms from the yeah. beginning, and then you develop it based on that universe of knowledge that you gain right off the bat. But you have to do it quickly. The entire first-party practice has to be done with a sense of urgency. The idea that – because you're, remember, you're going in front of a jury and you're talking about how this person's been through this process. It's been delayed and it's been protracted for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then how are how's it going to look if they're putting up as exhibits the things that have happened and then on your watch, you know, you took just as long as the, the carrier had. Right. So you have to – Remember that, you know, a lot of people are – your job will determine when they can rebuild a home or reopen doors to a business or, or you know, whatever loss they've experienced is going to be, you know, however that's going to be remedied. But you, you have to be very decisive, very immediate um, and define that universe as quickly as you can and as completely as possible. Right off the bat. So when you figure out where the upper left hand corner and the lower right hand corner sure. is, and you kind of kind of have an idea of you you figured out all of the players. Sure, you know what I mean. Um, and and you've got that you've got that working. Um, you then at some point put the carrier on some kind of notice, like, hey, we are going to begin That's right. legal action. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like what you were saying when you were defining the universe is, do we have a case here? And so, based on what you're telling me, it sounds like we have a case. Now I'm going to go do my due diligence, right, and see if there's really a case here. Okay, now we have that. So now I'm going to put how much time between you notifying the carrier and you getting that information does it really take you to define the universe, or what are you shooting for? Is sure. kind of what I'm asking. Well, well, okay. There, there are some things that are you, you have your internal deadlines and internal goals, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have things that are defined statutorily. Right. So, for instance, let's just say somebody says, I, I get a, somebody, you know, says, hey, you were recommended by Jim Smith. Mm-hmm. And I have a case. It's here in Texas. Um, it's a, you know, let's just say it's a tornado-related case from, from up toward the panhandle. You know, it's, it's in Dalhart County. Wow. So yeah, what, That's up there. <laughs> it's up there. I picked the, picked the northernmost <laughs> one I could. Right. So you 
look at every single thing that exists to determine, you know, is this is this a viable case? See, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you get it in and you recognize, wait a minute, this wasn't from a 2022 event. This was from a 2017 event and they had it denied in 18 and we're already a year and a half, two years past. There's nothing here that can be done. Right. So, but, but once you determine if there is something, if there's a tenable claim, if, if it's a legitimate, you know, cause of action with real damages and something that's, you know, that's going to be worth the journey for the policyholder. Obviously, if it's something where, you know, it's a $400,000 claim and they've paid 397000 then it might not be worth the journey for the final three, okay? Mm-hmm. But once you realize that it is something worth advancing upon, then you, you know, that's when you you go ahead and you, you say you entered into an agreement to represent that client. Sure. You're, you're never going to end your search for the information. Number one, in litigation, you've got to, you've got a, an, an existing duty that endures to continue to, to supplement information you find and you learn of. You can't just, hey, here's everything I have to the defense. And then later on, you learn of another witness or you learn of, oh, wait a minute, there was another estimate. No, well, hey, let's, where's, the, where's that second Hang on, door? let me let you talk to this guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> let me put you on hold for a wait, second. Wait a minute, the gardener might have something to say about this. Yes. Yeah, right. No, but, but no, I mean, you, you have a duty to continue to, to, to engage honestly throughout the process, regardless of what happens. Um, but when you first get the thing and you're, you're looking at this case and you find out everything you can and – as quickly as possible, you want to get into what we call the notice period. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a great example. Let's just take a hurricane or a hail event. Okay, okay? great. Because it's a little— it, We it, know when it happened. Well, we know when it happened. Right. And, and, and the thing is, it's not just that you know when it happened. These are things that affect other people. I mean, I, I changed to the plaintiff side. I, I did defense work for insurance carriers through Katrina and Rita. So a very con, you know, the, my, my very conspicuous point of demarcation when I made that change, change was Ike. Okay. Well, good luck going in front of a jury saying that, well, Ike was an isolated. Well, no, it, it affected a few people. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> this only happened to you, this, right? Yeah, this is, this is some, yeah, beyond peradventure here. But when you get those, those facts in and you have a weather-related event and you have to give. Now, Ike's a weird example because that was pre-542 Alpha. But right. since 2017, you know, you get everything set out. We're very detailed. We, we are everything. We look at every case as certainly having its own DNA. And that's not just with the players or the policy or the, or the address. It's with the actual, you know, um, the facts of the case that, that we want to put in and show, hey, we're not saying this, this is a five, 541 bad faith case because other cases have been that came out of Hurricane Ike, it's because this case has these particular facts with this exact chronology and these outcomes that were unfair, and that's why it qualifies for the for the additional remedies under 541. Mm-hmm. So we take an incredibly um, granular view, and and that's one thing about, you know, with, and Ben Barmore is probably one of the best ever at, at what I call, you know, he's the SNS, the the the, the systematic and the surgical, you know, he just, to be able to go through and really drill down on all that tedium and then to be able to have that, that formula on all matters where they all get that level of detail. It's incredible. And, and I've done that forever. He, he's, he's magnificent at doing that. And 
that's what gets into those original notice letters and those original demands because you don't want to start the clock with something that you're going to have to change up and give them the excuse that, well, I didn't know all this back when you first gave the notice. Have the complete picture there with the detail and the evidentiary support. All those things that you can say because you want to be able to show a jury. From the very beginning, we told the insurance carrier this is what the facts would bear out. We told them who we would get that from insofar as testimony, what we would get it from insofar as the documentary evidence, and it has, it has you know, played out the exact way. And the clients knew it even before we did because they lived through that saga. Right. So you want to be as circumspect and complete as you can from the very beginning. Sure. So I, I just want to shine a little bit of light on a couple of things. So yeah. in 2017, 541 and 542 mm-hmm. came out. So 541, just just for our listeners, so so that they're they're clear on what happened. I, I, well, hold on. Let me let me. I want to add something here real quick. Okay. I'll, five 541 and 542 pre-existed 2017. When I first came to Texas in 01, they were actually it, it was it was a different. A different code section it was twenty one twenty one and twenty one fifty five. Okay, so they became five forty one and five forty two. What happened was in seventeen, they there was an effort with the legislature to have some safeguards in place to make sure that demands would be a little bit more on the grid because they a lot of times during like Ike and Rita, you'd have a demand. Let's say that the, the amount of damage was a hundred thousand dollars and. And you'd get a demand because I did defense work during Rita, uh-huh. and I'd, I'd see a demand for eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and I thought, "Gosh, I think that's about twelve times the value of the, of the place." And some of the little, little, you know, other structures, and some of the the, the small, small residencies. And with two thousand seventeen's five forty two alpha, you had to lay out everything. You had to actually have in a a reeled in a, a little bit more grounded demand for, for actual damages. And then you would also have in the attorney's fees you're seeking based on the hours you'd put in. So instead of on a case for a hundred grand, instead of an 850, you'd probably have the hundred grand and then maybe another 15 attorney's fees. And the idea was, oh, this can help eliminate some litigation by having the insurance carriers have an opportunity to actually pay something that would reflect the amount of the estimate from the policyholder, because you, you can imagine very few would pay eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a case with a hundred thousand dollar estimate. Because you said so. Oh yeah. So right. the thing is here. Yes, right. That that's yeah. That's that, the point. That's is the that, point. Yeah, because so, you said you right. So now, so now, now, now. Interestingly, I think we all know because there's still there's still a few cases out there that the, it's not like one or car- two. It's not yeah. like carriers just say, "Oh great, oh, we appreciate that this is a." A lesser demand. So, where do we send that check? That doesn't happen, right? So, I mean, it 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 made a a situation have an extra step, a process have an extra step up front, but it it, it also had the effect of of making you look at the case closer as far as what the real damages are. Mm-hmm. And reflect that in your demand. Sure. And then they get sixty days for that. And once the sixty days is expired then you can go ahead and move forward just as you used to be able to. Now, remember, there are a few little subparts to this because you still have to, you know, even if you don't have a weather-related event, there's no 542A, you still have to have a complete workup and and give them notice that you're going to seek attorney's fees under a, 
a different body of law in the Civil Practice and Remedies Code that's different. Mm-hmm. Or if you if you have a situation where um, usually more in the third party context where it's something under a DTPA issue or a Stowers issue, you know those have their own individual timelines that, that relate to different causes of action. Sure, but the five forty two alpha was the big thing out of two thousand seventeen. Um, I'm not so sure it really did anything, accomplished anything, because. They're just going to say no to a different demand. <laughs> you still get the same letter back. Right. They can say no in five languages, right? Right. Yeah. It's usually no. <laughs> um, but but that was the that was the concept behind five forty two alpha. Well, and 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 so one of the things public adjusters, one of the more popular efforts that public adjusters are learning now, uh-huh. because back ten years ago we could just send in photos and an estimate and a well-written narrative and get claims paid. Sure. But things have become more contentious as years have gone on. You know what I mean? I um, I, in, in some places, the carrier moves the goalpost. But in other places, the carrier requires significant real documentation, not simply opinion on, on the side of the insured when it's like – Basically, because a hailstorm came through, this is why ha- uh, holes are in my roof. Okay, well, hang on a second. The hail stamp storm that came through had half inch hail, so I'm thinking that maybe not. Maybe the holes in your roof are not related to half inch hailstones because these are the size of bowling balls. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And I so, do. and so, back in there was a time when we could just submit these damages, and we had a related event that we could tie it to, and these claims were getting paid. Now, hear me, people. I am speaking in absolute hyperbole here, so I I, I want to be clear that just because we have an event to tie it to a date of loss that we could make that we could make work, and it seemed reasonable and plausible. Now carriers are more geared to making us prove a little bit more that these conditions are directly related. And so one of the things that public adjusters are doing is we are employing experts during the proof of loss phase. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so whether it's hiring our own engineer, maybe we're inviting, maybe we're inviting Industrial hygienist into the situation. Right. We've got all of these different laboratories. You may have and a experts. meteorologist. May- I may ha- I I do use a meteorologist. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying to to determine what happened at this specific location. Other places that I see it is you may have somebody that's specialized in thermography and what that means. Um, metallurgists come into play when you deal with these large metal roofs. Um, you know. Um, you know, microscopic investigations as it pertains to roofing membranes. Mm-hmm. All of these different things are coming together and PAs are becoming more and more um, astute to the uh, to to what goes on in this that may have only happened in the legal processes 15 and 20 years ago. Now right. we're involving them during the proof of loss period. Am I making sense here? Well, you know, sure. I mean, I mean, one of the my gosh, one of the, the largest matters that, that, that we have is a case where from the very beginning, it was clear that it was a thermoplastic polyolefin roof. It was a TPO roof, and it had just been skinned back by a massive Midwestern weather event, like tornadic, tornadic level winds. And it wasn't just a matter of sending in the proof of loss. We made sure we had – it wasn't just a, you know, a, a lick and a promise. It was, it was the the – the expert estimator. It was a causation expert. It was this one involved 
uh, gypsum decking. We had one of the biggest gypsum manufacturers and sell, sales people in in the entire Midwest, and you know they're still our experts, you know now. And um, I think there's a couple things that 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 make that advantageous. Number one, you're certainly backing it up, and you're giving a better chance to get things resolved up front without right. having to go legal. But the other thing is. Whenever you have someone, let's say that engineer does a full evaluation, and let's say it has to go legal. Well, if it goes legal, let's say it goes legal and it's nine months later, right? The person you have for your causation expert has a, what I call the, the, you know, the closer in time benefit. It's not like they're, oh, okay, now we're getting into legal nine months later. Uh, A few months after that, we go ahead and get into a lawsuit litigation. And then a few months after that, maybe five, six months after that, we designate experts. And now go back to the beginning. We're a year and a half after the, the PA was involved. And by by way of that, the experts are another 18 months removed. So are you saying that their information and their data that they collected in the in the in the pretrial efforts were were advantageous? Has now, has now yeah, advantageous, yes. but has it perished? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is you've got a great argument that, hey, listen, the people that were out there, our engineers that, that were with you, mm-hmm. they were out there doing the work and looking at this much closer in time to the storm. Sure. So that's, that's very beneficial. I, right. Because let's just say, for instance, you got somebody bringing Storm A, and then in my example of the 18-month you know, passage of time, you know, let's just say that 14 months later, there was another storm, and now they're claiming, oh, maybe the, maybe it's gone to a different carrier at that point. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have that snapshot in time, that point of demarcation, back when that original examination inspection was done, and those conclusions and opinions were drawn. So it, the closer in time makes a big difference from my So from this my is favorite. something PA should continue to do. Uh, uh, trying yeah. To, yeah, because- if they can. Now, remember, there's a cost-benefit. If, if it's a situation where – Let's just say, for instance, everybody knows that that roof was damaged by hail. And let's just say that everybody agrees as to the different parts of the roof or the roofing elements that need to be replaced. Well, at that point, then, it may just be a dispute as to the damages. It may not be anything about coverage, causation. Hey, was there hail that even fell here or was there hail significant enough in size to do this type of damage? We're past that. Mm -hmm. Okay, In that situation, the PA wouldn't need to. Right, but but in many situations, there's nothing wrong with obviously having that closer in time that recency benefit mm-hmm. of, or I'm sorry, that not recency the primacy benefit of having somebody out there after that happened that can memorialize the condition immediately following a loss event. Well, I also think that 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 point of demarcation that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We can also even if you bring experts in that basically come in to look at the same damage, so to speak, can sure. also show a level of deterioration or a level of degradation that may have that may exist now because I, we told you that this was affected, and we can show now that we're looking at it three, four, five, six months later sure. that the degradation and the and, and all of that is, right. is 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 in fact happening. What we said would happen is happening. Right. And and, and not only that, but it also comes with a an accompanying price tag increase. Because now look at look at how much worse it's gotten. You know, right. before it was just the outer skin, and now we got to replace all the gypsum. Now we've got to deal with you know issues from the skylights that have been dripping. And I mean, no, you're right, but but remember, to have here's the thing. Let's just let's just drill down on what 
what you just said and the words you just used. To show that the condition has gotten worse from one expert to maybe a testifying expert later on, that person is still basing that on that original time-stamped opinion of that first expert that we're talking about. Sure. That that, that a PA can bring to bear. So, yeah, it doesn't mean that's the only expert they'll ever have. It doesn't even mean that's the only expert they should have. But what it means is now you've got something where they can look back and say, hey, the carrier can't be saying this all happened after the fact. Or they can't say it all happened before the fact. We have somebody here who knew the conditions at the time. And now, 18 months after, we know how much worse they've gotten and how more expensive those repairs are going to be. And, and by the way, that's especially important when you have the price hikes that we saw in the pandemic. I mean, the, the increase in hardware, the increase in the hard materials was remarkable. I mean – would they go double? I mean, it was, uh, well, it, was, incredible. It, was it was incredible. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Exactimate, which is the exact uh, the estimating platform that we use, that mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody that's listening knows exactly they, what I'm uh, talking. I'm sure they do. They actually put out a memo or a white paper or you know some sort of release that says, "Look, you're going to have to start looking at what you're actually paying because these prices are changing." Mm-hmm faster than we can keep up with it. And I think it was really centered around like a fuel surcharge when we saw gas, you know, spike right there right. In, in 2021, essentially. And the, and the demand. I mean, everything went through the roof. And on our matters, like let's just say, for instance, before a mediation, we would make sure that we before the mediation or the expert cutoff, if we had something, you know, the, the litigation process can be a long journey. You know, the, the wheels of justice, as they say, can turn slowly, especially when you have so many people with claims related to, you know, the, the freeze, the pandemic, whatever. Look, if you're mad, somebody else is too likely. Well, yeah. You're not the only <laughs> one in the grocery line. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So <laughs> the, the point is that during that time, if you go to court with the same estimate that you started with, not only is it you're going to have a smaller estimate, you're going to have an inaccurate estimate. Right. Because – these are things that, that have increased in price. And there's two things going on. Number one, regardless of the price hike, the condition's gotten worse. And that, mean, that means you need you know, additional hard materials, additional labor, right? Mm-hmm. But even if it didn't, even if it didn't get worse, the cost of repairing it you know, in mid-2020 is going to be different than the fall of 2022, noticeably. Right. So even if it's not expanding the scope because of a worsening condition, just the amount that it would take to do the same exercises with the same materials and the same people working the same amount of hours mm-hmm. is going to be markedly uh, different. Well, I mean, and often, you know, I, I work multiple multiple claims right. that don't have you involved. And one of the biggest things that I see when I become involved as things become contentious or challenged mm-hmm. at a level, one of the last things I do, one of the very last things I do at the end of it all is I ask for the for the customary or the cursory price increase, the priceless increase okay. of whatever it may be. And I do get some pushback on that. And my argument is that all the time is your opportunity to fully pay this claim was at your point of inspection on the after the date of loss. Right. And so sure. 
and that was your chance to do it right then. So now, because of my involvement and everything I've done, yeah, we're going to need a price increase because we couldn't even get this accurately covered yeah. until we brought all of this to you. Yeah, that would be th – there's no difference. It, for a carrier to complain about that would be like complaining that if a year and a half later you got a verdict against them, they had to pay prejudgment interest – well, we're having to pay more. Sure you are. Sure you took you are. an extra year and a half. <laughs> right. So that is one consequence of a protracted amount of time. And then another more organic consequence is the fact that you have price increases and worsening of damages in general Overall, at a given property. Yes. Yeah, yes, because there is a degradation of the damage that happens over time. It's a, it's a compound financial it really uh, effect. is because it, yeah. as as you have the scope increase and the magnitude increase, the prices aren't just decreasing by natural attachment to those you know extended areas of damage. It's because in and of themselves, the dollar isn't going as far. Right. So therefore, you have to have an increase. Well, so for those of you following along at home, please be clear that any sort of expert that you get involved is going to be right. pivotal because of you know, the time closer to the fact. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when this thing happened, this is this is a more accurate picture of what's going on. So guys, get your experts involved sooner rather than later. Now, I realize many times, and, and you'll notice, what does the carrier do? As soon as there is contention, as soon as there is an argument or a disagreement about the extent of damage or the causation of damage, they bring in their their level of plausible deniability of an engineer to come back and basically say, hey, no, this was done by ground shifting or tree roots or whatever the case may be. Right. They find some excluded reason to basically not extend coverage. And that is that is something that we feel like all the time that, that basically the carrier is looking for affirmation of their strategy rather than information of the loss. There's a, I, I've, I've found many instances of what I like to call the reverse engineering. <laughs> We're going to, yeah. you know, we've got our engineers and they're going to go out there and they're basically trying to step it back, you know, uh, and, and sort of have a result oriented, you know, process and, and, and conclusions that support this initial opinion, even if the facts, you know, get in the way of their story. So to speak. Right. And and that's and that's kind of that's what I see. And so I like to be more proactionary rather than reactionary. Sure. And so when I realize that I am going to be in a position that is going to require facts or testing or evidence beyond my opinion, what my opinion would be, because right. my professional opinion exits when it's no longer a policy statute or a policy provision. And I am here as an expert in policy. I am not an expert roofer. I am not an expert project manager. I am not an expert metallurgist. I am not an expert meteorologist. Mm -hmm. I cannot speak to what this sort of, what you know, this cause of loss or this, this, this event, what effects it's going to have on this building. I don't really know. I can't say, is mold going to grow quicker here than it would in other things? That level of expertise, no matter how much I've seen, right. my credentials in this situation do not apply right. necessarily. So... You know, I am telling, you know, as a part of the process, when you get ready, that's, I mean, we hear all the time, work every, work every claim like it's going to go to an attorney. 
that is sort of like the pre-thought that you have when you walk into this thing is work under the assumption that you're going to have to turn this over to an attorney so that you're getting all of the evidence that you need to hand over to them. Well, and, and you know, the adage that translates onto our side is that every case is worked up as if it's going to trial. You know, you that's there was an old there was an old saying and it was it was apt. And that saying was, you know, if you if you prepare a case for trial, then you can be prepared that it'll settle. If you're preparing cases to settle, be prepared to shut your doors. Right. Because you're not doing what it takes to operate from the greatest position of strength. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're doing things just to fill in blanks and trying to get a settlement, whether you call it fighting uphill, throwing off your back foot, you know, operating from a position of weakness, mm-hmm. you're going to be hurting the facts of the case, missing opportunities to really buoy all those those strongest elements that you have in your case because you're not having possibly the the best experts to uh, you know accentuate the finest points of your case, whether it's from causation or from a damages standpoint. Um, you are not you know you're not building the foundation, you're not building the case in the best way in the best interest of the client. So when you get the case, you, we talked about, you know, Barmore and I, we, you know, we always get in there early, fully evaluate it, create the strategy, and then advance on that strategy. Everything you do has a purpose. Remember, don't forget, there's when you get in front of juries, if a witness doesn't help you, they hurt you. And people say, oh, that means that you got bad testimony. No, 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 no. Just by putting up somebody on the stand that doesn't add to your case will lead jurors to many times wonder, why would he think that's helpful? Does does he know this as well as we think? You see what I mean? If they're not helping you, it's hurting you. There is no neutral. It's either they help the case or they don't help the case. Right. So for us, it's not just about building that at the beginning. It's every single step has to be aggressive deliberate and and carried out again with with a sense of urgency because just because you're doing things in general doesn't mean you're doing something to strengthen the case you have to make sure it's consistent with your theme and it's very very well thought out you know every step you take so what else mm-hmm. can a public adjuster do what what are what are what are like just best practice habits that we can be doing? So I, I think we understand that you know we we, we want to get experts involved. I think it goes without saying, and but I'm going to say it anyway: is keep track of every single communication effort that you have that right. is claim related right. whatsoever. Um, one of the things that you had even said is there may be this insignificant person that you don't think that matters, but I have lately, if they send out a third-party vendor, I want to know, I'm going to try to get the name, contact information, and the CV of the individual that is that is providing evidence either for the carrier or for me. You know what I mean? It doesn't sure. really make make any difference. I, I want to do that. Is there anything else other than those standard things that a PA needs to be documenting and providing you prior to it getting on your desk? 
there's a few things that can always help a case and a few things that when you look at a file, you sometimes think, man, I wish this would have been done. You know, this should have been done a little differently. Right. Now, one of those is forcing the carrier to take a position. Sometimes you get back a no from a carrier as to we're not going to pay that. And you're wanting to continue to offer more information to try to, you know, um, sort of force them to change their mind when they haven't really set out exactly what they're relying on as to why they've denied it or underpaid it. And one of the things that can be frustrating is when you get to court, or let's just go back in the process, when you first get a file, you want to know exactly why they took the position that they did. Remember, the claims process is over. We're in litigation, okay? Right. Think about this. I want you to think about chronology, okay? 541 and 542 govern the claims process. So at the point that you get the case and it goes into litigation, that process is over. So now we're grading the paper on as to why they did what they did. That's why a lot of times, you know, we, we've been very successful in getting earlier trial dates. Because when, when, when Barmore and I, when we, when we shoot for these trial dates, two principal arguments. One is fairly predictable. And that is, it's a worsening condition. It's urgent for the client. But remember... A lot of people in there are going to be in that same situation. You know what I mean? Sure. They've got medical bills. It was a it was a car wreck. You know, whatever. Right. But the process forces the policyholder to front load everything they're going to be doing, such as getting those experts. Right. Forcing mm-hmm. you to get an engineer. You have to do so many things earlier than you would maybe in a in a PI case or something where you maybe get those experts later on. You're building. You're baking the cake before you even get there because you have to. And the carrier, based on all those things you've done, when you've gotten these experts, you've started taking away their excuses. Well, you didn't get an engineer. Yeah, we did. You know? Well, that's and, my point. Right, but, but, here's, but here's what I'm getting at. So now, when you're just evaluating what they've done and what they based their decision on, all right, you have to force them to say, okay, because remember, this all goes back to your question, what could be done de- better or different, right? Mm-hmm. You, when they come back and they say, okay, well, we didn't see any evidence of causation. Well, what about the engineering report we sent you? Okay, well, are you saying he's unqualified? If so, how? Are you saying he didn't do a full inspection? If so, how? Are you saying that they're, you know, the the opinions are non sequitur in relation to the facts that and data un, and, uh, data that underline them. You know what I mean? Right. You, you have to make them state their position because I promise you, I promise you that if you allow them to wiggle around and create a new excuse later on, they will. But if you can say, listen, when you've got somebody on the stand and you say, listen, is it important for you to be honest with your policyholder? Yes, it is. What are they going to say? No. <laughs> is it well no think about this. Do when, when you look at a policy, do you agree that you are typically in a superior level of knowledge as to that policy? They are. They're the ones that authored it, okay? So then you have a situation where you can say, "Okay, were you given this information? Did you reach a conclusion? 
is it is it the right of the policyholder to know why you denied them? Is it important for you to put that in writing so they can follow up with you and drill down on that and ask you why you, you came up with that conclusion? Pretty soon, the picture's clear and a jury gets it. They can't be out here moving the goalposts. They, they have to come in there and say, based on this universe of information, this is exactly what we have. And this is what we've decided. And it's not going to be one of those. And that's what's so frustrating to me. They'll have these experts come in later. Well, that's fine. But what do they do? They weren't part of that process. You made that decision based on person A at the beginning, not person B later on that you think you can polish up in front of a jury. You see what I'm saying? Right. So, so the thing that can be done is to force them based on that universe of information that exists and the data that exists and the reporting and the, the, the investigation, explain everything in there on why they're taking the position they are. And if there's something, if they say, here's why there's A, here's why there's B, here's why there's C, oh, and then there's also D. And then right back, well, wait a minute now, what, what's your, what, why D? You know, you, we disagree with A through C, but you didn't even give us the, you have to follow, follow up and make sure that you force them to take a position and paint them into a corner. Because remember, only when you get them in that corner can then, then you go to trial and you're evaluating everything that they did to get there. And that's important because otherwise it's like nailing jello to a wall and it's a, it's amoeba, you know, it's whatever you want to say. It's shapeless and it's something that can be very hard to pin down and develop into a theme in front of a jury. Well, I want to get into a little bit more about sort of expertise of PAs, and we'll get into that right after this. Thank you. 